Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product, industry, and best practices to build a great customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, journalist David Balance, who conducted a series of interviews with customer engagement practitioners from around the world to write an ebook on behalf of One Signal on user retention, loyalty, and growth. David is here to discuss what he learned, what anecdotes didn't make in the book, and general thoughts. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's good to dive back into the world of Pooch. It's nice to, to catch up. I hadn't seen you in, I don't know, maybe a month or two. So it's good to see you. Yeah, with these projects, it's always it's always a bit weird because you go from seeing people, I don't know, every week, every two weeks to then just seeing them in Google Docs and then then not seeing them for a month or two. Yeah. Well, we're all living in a, a little bit of a Google Doc, uh, <laughs> Zoom, email world. So it is very interesting. I'm curious, how did you get into writing brand stories? Like, how did you get into this this path? Yeah, so I, I guess for me, it starts when I graduated from college with a liberal arts degree. And like most people who do that, I had no idea what to do next. <laughs> and to kind of compound things, most of my friends at the time were in STEM subjects. So, you know, I had one who studied chemical engineering. He's now a chemical engineer. I had one who did vet med. He's now a vet. So I definitely had some kind of existential panic and thinking, you know, what am I going to do for the next four years of my life? So I kind of thought back about what I was good at, what I enjoyed during college, and writing was always part of that. I think purely kind of by good fortune, this was 2014 when content marketing was really starting to take off. Take off, yeah. Kind of HubSpot had just gone public. Like most companies were starting to think about it as a kind of a good marketing channel. And again, just by good fortune, I fell into a editorial internship at Beer Magazine that was just relaunching and going digital. And that kind of gave me my start. And from there, I moved into a more traditional content marketing role at an agency. Um, and then from there, I guess I've kind of seen the whole industry evolve. Like back in 2014, writing listicles was enough. You know, it was unique and it stood out from everything else that was there. But then everyone kind of looked at BuzzFeed and went, I can do that really easily. Yeah. And then you just have this massive proliferation of, you know, low quality content to call what it is. Yep. And then kind of more recently, companies have started thinking about, hey, how do I differentiate myself? One of the most powerful ways to do that is through brand stories, telling narratives, telling, you know, how people got to where they are, you know, unpacking their journey and things like that. And that's, that's kind of where I've ended up. It's something that I really enjoy doing. I think it, it helps bring kind of technical niche subjects to life. Like if you can, if you can build a narrative around push notification, it suddenly it's not just a marketing channel. It's, you know, it's a way that somebody built their startup or, you know, pivoted a legacy media company. It's just a way to kind of get to know, you know, subjects that most people would kind of brush over. So that's a good segue. You interviewed OneSignal users, customers across, you know, a lot of different industries and quite mm -hmm. frankly, geographies as well you know, from sports and National Rugby League, which is down based in Australia, a B2B kind of mobile app for coffee, a physical coffee shop ordering called Joe Coffee, a media company, USA Today, which is based uh, obviously in the US, you know, Soft Tonic was another. Mm. You come across so many different people. Is that one of the interesting things about the job is you're, you're kind of interviewing people in, in different cultures and different types of businesses, or is it typically mostly North America or, or Western Europe? I think this project was especially far flung. I think that's kind of credit to OneSignal and, and you for, for getting these clients interested. I think NRL was funny because all professional sports shut down in the UK. And I was 
consuming all the, the rugby league games. So at the end of the interview, I was kind of gushing and thinking, thank you, thank you, you've got me through this weird time in history. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was amazing to see where this technology fits in in different industries. And I think the thing that got me was it applies everywhere, but it applies in such radically different ways. Like USA Today was using Push primarily for content distribution. And then the interview after that was Joe Coffey, who have two wildly different use cases. One was transactional and the other was promotional. And going into interviews, I just, I learned to have no idea what they were going to say. You know, it, it wasn't here are the three, only three use cases that Push can do. It's like, here is a tool and like, we're going to explore how they use that tool. It was, it was really amazing to see. That's cool. When you think about, I guess, and we could get into the learnings actually, I was going to ask a question about like, you know, when you think about like the very, you kind of answered in terms of the use cases. And I think some of it also comes down to industry types, Mm. right? Like media companies in particular, their content, right? Like Mm -hmm. their, their product is writing good content that's compelling to bring people back in. And so I think these engagement tools really become extensions of their core product. And I think Mm -hmm. we've got some really big media companies that you did an interview where they've really taken advantage of push and other channels, but where they really build a loyal audience and they're sending lots of content every day to you through push Mm -hmm. to keep you abreast. It's almost like a new form of RSS. And then you click in and come back to the things that are really interesting to you versus e-com where it's much more about transaction or you should come back and make a transaction or here's a 25% off or loyalty in that regard. So it's interesting, which you got exposed to is we have paid customer in about 120 unique countries now. Mm -hmm. And we have free users. I I believe every country that's not embargoed by the uh, US government. So it's, we, you deal with people from all over walks of life, all sorts of different places from early stage app developers to multi-billion dollar kind of conglomerate. It's a lot of fun. In these conversations, what were the core learnings? Yeah, I think one thing that kept coming up was the need for marketing basics. Everyone reiterated that push isn't a silver bullet, like it's a tool and how you use it matters, especially with the space getting busier and busier. You do have to ensure that you're talking to the right people at the right time with the right message. The other one was not overwhelming users. It's so tempting to kind of use it as a a fire hose, but I think that's a really easy way to, to alienate your users. I think that's more relevant to the kind of media side of things. It's something that USA Today talked about a lot that it is tempting when you've just got, you know, potentially limitless pokes at your audience to just keep prodding them. But I think you you learn pretty quickly that that's that's not the way to go forward. And then the other thing that kept coming up was building versus buying. Um, I think as a naive outsider coming in, I was thinking, how hard is push to set up? And I remember asking Lenny Urbanowski, this the CTO at Joe, that, and he he just laughed at me. And he said, like, it's Pandora's box. Like you go in and then it's just there's one problem after another and one dependency after another. And you can build it yourself, but you definitely shouldn't. It's just this crazy false economy. And finding a platform like One Signal just cuts out so much of that work. Yeah. Those are some great quotes, by the way, that in that interview in particular was <laughs> was awesome. You know, you kind of touched on this earlier, but how do the approaches vary across this, right? So I, I, you touched on the, the Joe Coffey versus the media example, or, or you know, even in National Rugby League, but like, mm. what were the, the common approaches and, and how different were they across those use cases? I guess one commonality between everything was integration into other systems. 
that although the use cases changed, like you were doing conversion optimization or user engagement or you know retention plays, but integrating push into other channels and a marketing campaign more generally was something that a lot of people talked about. It was something that YJ Circuit Mute 6 brought up, that they had this welcome message play that, that operated really nicely, but it, it was one part of a more cohesive strategy and they had consistent messaging across email, on-site and push. And just having that kind of cohesion really, really made it effective. Yep. You touched this, but I'd love to elaborate the difference, the divergence that some of these folks took. Mm-hmm. You know, it was there, did you start picking up on, on areas where the two could learn from each other? For example, media where they're just distributing content could actually start using it from in a little bit different way to curate their customers versus NRL or soft tonic. Oh, for sure. USA Today is a really interesting example because they, they were using it solely for kind of content distribution. It was just a way to get, you know, content in front of people who were interested. Yep. And I think if you compare that to, to Joe Coffee, where push plays such a transactional function in their product, keeps users updated of where their coffee is at every stage in the process. Uh, I think there is some some really interesting overlap when USA Today starts thinking about, well, how else can we use it? And then there was NRL who were using it for a really interesting kind of educational purpose with lots of interesting kind of geo points in it. They were using it for directing people around stadiums and, and things like that. And when you start to get that mix of, you know, physical versus digital, I think it becomes really interesting. Yeah, it's it, the sports or the physical entertainment use cases mm. are really cool. I personally find that we work with uh, Squaw Valley as one. Uh, there's actually many examples of, of these types of businesses, but Squaw Valley is a large ski resort in North America. They hosted the 1960 Winter Olympics. They use it in this really cohesive way where they're trying to get promotion to get you to book time to come up mm-hmm. and visit the resort because most of their activity, most of their consumers are actually coming from California, from Northern California in particular. Mm-hmm. They get a lot of tourists, but it's still like 5 10% of their base. So trying to get you to book. When they book, they know when you're coming in. They welcome you when you're coming into the village mm. with a message. Mm-hmm. They use uh, push to drive you around the mountain. They leverage push within the environment to bring people together. So if you say that you and I were both skiing together, we got separated, it would be able to direct us back through some of their leaderboards within the app. And then they can send you messages like you're close or your friend's here. Then they can direct traffic when you're leaving. If the traffic's bad, they direct you to have a, a drink and a burger at Rex Pub. So they do a really good job of curating your experience and actually collapsing these transactional and promotional and educational, quite frankly, because they'll educate you on like what's open, what's not open. I personally love these use cases. We're taking the physical world and enhancing it with digital tools. Mm-hmm. I gravitate towards those use cases. And so with sports, we have a couple uh, large sports leagues in North America that are doing some of that stuff as well. One is taking this sort of stadium thing, although COVID's kind of inter- interrupted some of this, and they will actually use a stadium experience around buying food, mm. interactive things within the stadium, and then obviously doing the kind of scoring, the kind of experiential transactional thing around like what's going on. And then as well as content, because obviously at the end of the day, what, what are these sports leagues? But they're, they're creating a bunch of content. It's entertainment. So. Mm-hmm. What's the most impactful or creative idea you shall want to share? Yeah, I, I guess the most impactful thing I saw kind of came from IJ from Mute 6. 
And it was right at the end of our interview and we talked through everything they were doing with Inspire Uplift um, around conversion optimization, welcome messages and abandoned cart and, and things like that. But at the end, he said, none of this matters unless you get opt-ins. So start early. Yesterday is better than today. Today is better than tomorrow. And it hammered home that there is a real difference between push and other channels. But push is way more cooperative. Like if a user doesn't want to see you, they don't see you. And there's no shortcut to getting these, these opt-ins. So just this idea of like start early, like start right now. If you're thinking about rolling out really complicated campaigns in the future, you're going to need these opt-ins. So there's no kind of, there's no shortcut to that, that position. Yep. And it's great. I think that's actually a really important piece of feedback. And it's true in email too. You need to build your list. Mm -hmm. The unique thing with push that I, I think some people just gloss over is it's the first communication tool built from the ground up that has mutual opt-in. Meaning mm -hmm. the business has to ask you and then you have to accept. And then if you ever... If you ever don't want it, you can go and, and turn it off and there's a push token that's revoked. And so therefore, mm -hmm. the business can never communicate with you via push ever again. Unlike email or these other channels, like physical address, for example, where there's rules in different countries around whether you can continue to send to them if they've expressed they don't want to, but it's really hard to enforce those rules. And so I think we all have had emails sent to us from businesses that we've opted out of. And I don't think it's because they're they're actually violating the law intentionally, but it's really hard system-wise to track like, oh, that person opted out. I switched email vendors. It didn't get tracked and so on. So that's a good one. What are some kind of interesting stories that you heard that, you know, that didn't make it into the book? Yeah. Uh, the, the really interesting one that I wanted to bring up, and it's something that I've touched on briefly earlier, was transactional notifications in Joe Coffee. And I think it was the, the, it was one of the first interviews that we did. And I'd come in with all my, you know, preconceptions of what push was that, you know, it was a simple technology for sending you marketing messages. Yeah. And he said, like, imagine a bare bones coffee app where you order your coffee and then what happens? Like on a bare bones app, it's a black box. You have no idea what's going on. Like you might get an email at the end telling you that it's ready, or you might not even get that. But with Joe Coffee, there's this transactional notification that fires at every step. You know, you order your coffee, you get a notification saying, you know, we've received. When a barista starts working on it, ding, you get another notification saying that they're working on it. And then ding, you know, your coffee's been quality control. And then ding, your coffee is ready for collection. And it just makes everything so much more transparent. And especially for something like a on-the-go coffee ordering app where you need to know when it's going to be ready because you're walking there on your commute. You don't want to stand around for five minutes while somebody finishes it off. It enriches the experience. It's not a bolt-on add-on to, you know, increase conversions or increase user numbers. It's like a real core part of the product and the experience. I remember hearing that and it just it completely flipped how I was thinking about push notifications that they, they play such a huge role in you know your experience with the product. It's not a simple marketing channel. It can be way, way more than that. Yeah. And, I, and that goes at the heart of why I love these like physical digital mm -hmm. collaborations because I think... You just nailed it, which is that a transactional experience where you are abreast of everything going on. Mm -hmm. What are creative ways or ideas that you've got from these conversations that you would want to pass along? Yeah, I guess there's two that jumped out. Like a lot of people said that the space was getting more competitive. That, that it, you know, it's not like it was five years ago, and even one year ago, like phones were a lot quieter. And a lot of people said that just your messaging has to be 
like interesting. Like it has to be different. It has to stand out. So I think working on brand voice and working on ways to distinguish yourself from your competitors isn't just an added extra now. It's it's really essential. Like if you're beige, you're going to blend into the background and get forgotten and get swiped away as you know yet another annoying notification. The other one was immediacy. Like this came up time and time again that there is no other channel that jumps in front of your users immediately. And I think there's really interesting applications there that we talked about, personalized abandoned car. Like if someone's thinking about leaving your site and you fire, you know, these five things are in your basket, are you sure you want to leave? There's not anything else that does that. If you do that by email, like they're not checking their email while they're browsing your site. They're not checking their texts while they're browsing your site. You know, yeah. there is nothing else like it. Yeah, that's a good point, the immediacy stuff. And I think, you know, being interesting and the sort of that panacea of personalization where it mm-hmm. feels like, hey, you know me and you're connecting. Those have always been the guiding North Stars, if you will, around mm-hmm. marketing. But it goes back to getting an opt-in and losing an opt-in are difficult. And once you lose them, you've lost them. It's not like, oh, I've opted out and you can still send them an email and say, hey, you sure you want to be opted out? Like once they opt out, you don't have any chance. And so it has to be relevant and timely. So are you feeling like you're a customer engagement expert now? <laughs> I, I read this question in the, in the interview briefing that you sent over and I, I, I did have to laugh. I think my skills are very much in their infancy. I think this is maybe one of the the benefits of my job that I get to go and talk to experts and specialists. And it reminds me how little I know about pretty much everything. I can scratch the surface and maybe ask some vaguely interesting questions. But when it comes to implementation, you need a, a Dominic from the NRL or a YJ Souk from Mute6 to, to actually make it happen. Yeah. It all depends on the scale and what you're trying to accomplish there. You know, mm-hmm. if you're starting an NRL uh, <laughs> you know, fan blog, Mm-hmm. There's just basic stuff you can do. And I guess that goes to the next question, which is of like you had a friend or you were starting a mobile app concept. What would you lay out as the steps that are necessary to build the right engagement up front? Like as you build it. To, to AJ's point earlier about like, if you think you're going to do this down the road, start now because you need to be mm-hmm. building up your base. What would you advise your friend if they were starting something? One one really interesting thing that we touched on in the, the Joe Coffee interview was around onboarding. And they didn't start from scratch with onboarding. They looked at what made a good customer, what behaviors a good customer exhibits. Like I can't remember the specifics, but like a good customer might buy two coffees within their first week of becoming a user, and they might buy coffees at a particular rate. They might use the app at a particular rate. And then they built their push notification strategy around optimizing for those behaviors. They were prompting people to buy, you know, coffees at regular intervals and from the shops they like. I think not starting from scratch is a great, great starting point. I think this is a tool and you can use it incorrectly or correctly. And I think if you have an idea of the type of customer that you're trying to create, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, that's well said. Well, thank you, David. I really appreciate you, you know, all the hard work on the ebook and I appreciate you joining the podcast. It's been awesome to get to know you and appreciate it. So thank you very much. No problem. It's always been my pleasure. It's been, um, it's been good to look back over the notes and uh, refresh myself about all of this. Nice. 
Um, well, if you enjoy what you listen to here, please subscribe to the One Signal Podcast at your preferred podcast directory, Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and many others. If you're looking for a great customer engagement software used by more than 1 million companies across the globe, try One Signal for free today. In the meantime, have a great day. Stay safe and sane.